This podcast is for mature audiences only. Welcome back to the Persuasion Pitch Podcast, or if you are new, welcome. I am your host, Jess, and here we dig into scams, other unethical business practices, and cults. Hey everyone, before you continue listening, I do want to put out a trigger warning for SA, ED, suicide, and we go very deep into trauma. All right, everyone. So welcome back. I am sitting here with Heidi. I actually came across her TikTok video and I reached out and I asked her if she wanted to be on the podcast. She said yes. And yeah, so how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, recuperating from a little surgery, but other than that, I'm good. Uh, I'll be okay. I had like some metal removed from my foot, which I talked Ooh. about in one of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm getting better slowly but surely. So if everyone knows about the Duggars, everyone knows about the Duggars. We all watched, um, hopefully, if you guys haven't watched it, make sure you do watch it. Uh, this, what is it? Shiny Happy People on Prime? Mm-hmm. And it goes so much more into, like, their beliefs, even more than, like, them as a family, in my opinion. Like, it goes really into it. Like, they did a really good job on that, um, on that series. Uh, talking about it so they were part of it's like the institute of basic life principles which they're christian but it's like little branches or something i'm not sure but with your story heidi it's i think you compared it to that right yes so i my parents got into a cult um when i was about two or three um And it's not like a cult as in like a compound. It wasn't centralized. Um, It was a bunch of, you know, Christian churches that splintered off with very extreme beliefs. Right. Um, And so the like women had to wear dresses. They couldn't wear makeup. They couldn't cut their hair. Uh, Women belonged to first their fathers as children and then their husbands. Mm. Um, they couldn't go to college and Mm. so very extremely, extremely similar to the Duggars, you know, the man is the quote unquote head of the house to the point Oh my God. Yes. Like the woman would have to ask her husband's permission to cut her hair. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like the amount of control was, you know, absolutely, um, incredible, and one of the things that the church practiced was homeschooling um, because, you know, don't let the world, you know, taint our kids, right. AKA, if our kids go to school, they'll realize that maybe we're in a cult. Right. Um, and so I was homeschooled my whole life and my parents kind of fell into this cult because they had just moved into Missouri 
they were both uh, very traumatized in their childhoods. And, you know, back then no one was talking about trauma or PTSD or anything like that. Right. Um, and cults, you know, target vulnerable people like this. Exactly. Yep. Um, and so both of my parents, having come from very broken and abusive homes, didn't really know how to parent. And they were looking for someone to tell them how to do better than their parents. And unfortunately... <laughs> They wound up in this cult. Um, Naturally. And of course. Yep. Right. And the cults believed that um, demons were like everywhere and in everything. Um, and so, and you could get like possessed by a demon at any point in time, but it was pretty much only the kids who would get, you know, possessed by demons. Oh. Um, and then the way to, you save your kid was to spank them with a wooden implement until you quote broke their spirit of rebellion just beat them into submission and uh so i remember like hearing you know like me and my siblings would cover our ears when one of our other siblings was getting punished um you couldn't cry when you were getting um, spanked, beat, uh, you couldn't. How cry. can you help it? It hurts. So, well, it was, okay. So this yeah. is like the psychological, like fuckery. One of the psychological, like mind fucks was that you couldn't not cry because then you had a spirit of rebellion, but you couldn't cry too much because then you were playing it up and you'd get like either of those options, you would get more spankings. And so like, while you're, in physical pain being hit by this paddle you know it was like i think like a half an inch thick like 18 inches wide um these these weren't like you know hand or switches right. um you would also have to be like considering how if you were crying enough or too much um and so i for like the first i want to say like two three years my parents were in that cult so up till i was like six five or six. Um, and then my dad was like, oh, this maybe is kind of fucked up. And so they, you know, left the church, stopped following those beliefs. Um, but the beliefs, like they left the church, but the beliefs were still in my parents. And so they like diminished over time, but it didn't, it wasn't like they left and everything was fine. Um, and so like slowly we started getting, you know, where the us girls could wear pants because I have five siblings. Yeah. Um, and so we started getting more like we could wear pants. And, you know, part of this cult was that you couldn't listen to see watch anything that wasn't, you know, Bible centered. Mm -hmm. um, I even remember going to a book burning as a young kid um, because what? like the difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't an actual book burning with like five or six families from the church. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And then of course me, I, uh, being a little rebel, I found a little copy of the time machine and it was like one of those square books that had some pictures in it. Mm -hmm. And it was actually small enough that I smuggled it home and like read it in secret. Um, but, uh, so like book burnings and a lot of, just control like they didn't believe in medicine at all so like doctors like medicine were for people who couldn't trust god enough to save oh, them no. and i developed asthma at two oh. and you didn't so, know no um and so i i have exercise induced asthma 
um, which basically means that I don't have an attack until my heart rate goes up. And then if I stop exercising, it will subside, Um, which is lucky because Mm -hmm. I suspect that had I had regular like asthma that doesn't operate like that, I probably would have died as a child. Right. You just never Um, knew. Because I wasn't allowed to ever see the doctor for it. So I would have to suffer through asthma attacks and I, so I couldn't really run. I couldn't play that much, uh, in the winter. I couldn't really go outside because the cold air would trigger my asthma attacks more. Mm-hmm. And so like I suffered through asthma attacks up until I was 29. Um, because I unfortunately like internalized a lot of those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until I got with my current partner and we went on a hike together and I had an asthma attack and I couldn't finish the hike. And I was like, you know, audibly wheezing. And he's like, um, you're going to sit this one out and you need to go to the doctor tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> and I was, I was like fighting it because I had, you know, internalized all of these beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um Cause I never had known anything other than those things. And so even though it like gradually faded, I never, I was never public schooled. All I was exposed to from, you know, two years old was this brainwashing, religious control and abuse. That's all you and, knew. I mean, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it took me being in therapy to, to learn how to think critically because right. I just, you know, I was punished for thinking critically, you know, the cult was like, well, if you ask questions, that's doubt. And that's a sin. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So you just, you, you weren't allowed. So I, like when my brain was developing, like critical thinking wasn't one of the skills that it thought it needed. <laughs> right. And, um, right. So I had to develop those as an adult and like growing up, the abuse from the cult was really bad. Um, and one of the beliefs that the cult had was that anything that wasn't explicitly given to you by your parents was stealing if you took it. So that was like anything. Um, gifts, uh, like food, candy. Wow. Yeah. Um, and because the abuse was, you know, you never knew really when it was going to happen because you could get quote unquote, you know, a spirit in you and not even know. Um, so I, one of the ways that my brain coped was by having dissociative blackouts. Mm-hmm. So I would just lose time regularly yeah. and just not kind of like come to doing something and just not remember what had happened for the past mm-hmm. 20, 40 minutes, couple hours, just no memory. And, uh, so one time my grandma was visiting and she brought like candy with her. Somebody took some of the candy and so all of us kids were lined up um and we couldn't leave the lineup until somebody confessed about who took the candy um and because i'd had a dissociative blackout that day i was like well i really want to watch that roy rogers movie that we were going to watch so and i don't know that i didn't take it so i'm just gonna like maybe i did i'm gonna say it um so i can watch the movie uh, and unfortunately, it was my oldest sister who had eaten the jelly beans. Oh, my gosh. And uh, she realized that she could do whatever she wanted, and I would take the fall for it. 
That's awful. I'm so yeah. sorry. And you yeah, got yeah. in trouble for it. And you could just because you may have. Yeah. And so that was it started like two to three years of some of the worst abuse I ever went through. Wow. Um, because she did that for like up to three years, somewhere in there. So uh <sighs> it was like almost daily, if not a couple times a week. And uh I at this point was already traumatized. So at that point I really like uh was you know, I was 10 years old um the first time I tried to end my life. Um and I just remember I waited till everyone went to sleep and I went downstairs in the kitchen and I pulled out a knife and just sat on the kitchen floor and I couldn't decide whether it was worse to die and go to hell because that's you know the belief system I was raised in or keep experiencing what I was experiencing and it took me a long time to like decide well you know hell is forever that's what I thought at the time so that's worse and so ultimately I didn't do it um god you didn't do it yeah (laughs) I mean I am so sorry like that's deep man that's that's deep I have so many questions that's a lot yeah go ahead go ahead that's a lot man I'm I am so sorry like yeah thank you um and it took a lot of people ask me now like how can I have a relationship with my parents? Like having experienced all that. Yeah. I want to, I want to ask that too. Yeah. So I, when I got into therapy, um, because one of the things about CPTSD, um, complex post-traumatic stress syndrome is that, um, like up to 30% of the people with the condition don't realize it because it starts so young that your brain never didn't have that condition when functioning. Um, and so no matter how extreme your internal reactions are to other people, like it's all, it was all I had ever known. So I was unaware that I thought everyone was like that. Um, and so I was walking around for like 19 years undiagnosed, like suffering severely. Um, and at that time, you know, if anyone would ask me like, oh, did you have a good childhood? I would have said yes, because I had so buried my reaction to everything just because that was all I could do to survive um was I had to like paint a rosy glow on top of everything and just pretend that you know it was okay it was good you know it was great great childhood that's all Um, you knew you didn't know what was supposed to be good you thought that was good like they were doing the right thing so you thought it was good right and then um I got with my a partner and we had dated as teenagers um, and it didn't work out. And then we reconnected about like five and a half years ago. And he realized when we reconnected that I was undiagnosed. Um, And so he started just very gently, just giving me lots of support and unconditional love and listening to me. And like through talking to him, I, you know, was able to realize, Oh, I, I might need to like, maybe get evaluated um and so I got evaluated and they started treating the depression and anxiety and but it took another two years of therapy before I was actually diagnosed with CPTSD Mm -hmm. because it took me that long to think that maybe I should bring up to my therapist how I reacted to some things right Uh, like you know I remember one time my partner 
was he wanted to talk to me because I kept leaving the window to our apartment open and we lived on like an accessible balcony. So literally anyone could have just like walked in and there was already a dent for where someone else had popped in the screen like prior to us living there. Uh-huh. And so he's like, hey, babe, like sit down. I you know need to talk to you about this because it keeps happening. And the next thing I know, I am like locked in my bathroom. And I remember getting up fast walking into my like going through my studio and then my uh, bathroom and locking the door but I was like not in control of myself when I did that and so I kind of like you know my my head blinked on and I'm like what why am I why did I just lock myself in my bathroom like doesn't make any sense um and that was actually what I told my therapist that story she's like oh yes (laughs) yeah that's a PTSD that's that's right. what that is and so that three years ago is when I started really learning more about CPTSD and my condition and how to manage it and like what causes it right and all of that information you know I started looking at my childhood and for me the the reason I can still have a very close relationship with my parents is because they realized it was wrong and left the cult at the time. Right. And everything that they did was out of a misguided um, sense of doing the right thing. Right. Because they, you know, they were being lied to by this cult who was manipulating them. Mm-hmm. And then when I started going through therapy, I would talk to them about what happened and they would listen no matter how difficult it was. And then they took responsibility for what happened and apologized. And so for I me, see that. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, brainwashed is brainwashed. And like, yep. anyone, anyone is susceptible to being sucked in. Like if you're, especially if you're in a vulnerable, you know, position, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, they use the bite model. They start to behavior control, information control, thought control, emotional mm-hmm. control. And people, they love bomb you. I mean, it just... Yeah. 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 It's, it's so, um, insidious how effective it is. And, you know, for me, I'm like, you, you guys did realize there was something wrong and left and, you you know, it still bad things happen, but you did take responsibility and try to make it right. And that's extremely difficult. And for me that like, having come from the same background of being brainwashed and believing all of that stuff. Like I've done really cringy things like this one, <laughs> uh, after my family was on wife flop and it was like a total clusterfuck. Um, <laughs> my, because we still hadn't gotten diagnosed or treated. Um, my family wound up like falling under this quote unquote prophetess, AKA, very gifted grifter in like the church circuit who like gave us all these you know told our fortunes aka prophecies and we absolutely believed it yeah oh okay okay (laughs) yes um so one of those things was I had this crush on a guy and I'm like are we gonna get married because like at the time I was still very brainwashed and she's like oh yeah so then I like digitally stalked this guy for two years like <laughs> letters in the mail and he'd be like <laughs> he's like we went on a couple dates and we kissed like one time and I I'm think like, that's so awesome that you're like literally admitting that shit like oh my like, god I stalked this it's... dude like <laughs> but 
I just, you know, the thing with brainwashing is it's very effective. Right. Um, And, you know, looking back, I was like, oh my God, that's so cringy. (laughs) It's not your fault. That's just, it was your brain. You thought. Um, Later in life, like, okay, uh, you know, I can understand you forgiving your parents just because when you have forgiveness, like within you, at least that's what they say, it's really hard for me to, I've been like burned so many times. I mean, I'll forgive if somebody's really, truly sorry. You know, if it's like a, a, yes, a good reason, same, I will. Same. And that, that feels are... good. It feels good yeah. to say, you know what, I'm going to keep my family together. They they do love me. We actually went through this together and yeah, yeah. got out. So bond together. And I see that. I do. And I, I mean, I understand that. Some people will be like, I would never. But, you know, yeah. in that situation, like you need a support system. Yeah. And I think too, like everyone's healing journey is different, like coming out of trauma and abuse. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a very, I have very set parameters on who I, who gets to be forgiven by me. And there are a lot of people. That's where it is. So I live in Springfield, Missouri, and the church is in Norwood, Missouri. Okay. So in, hmm, how Girl, I'm going to take a trip to Missouri because these people are going to have to hear from me. I ain't, I'm not putting up with them. I'll expose them if you want me to. Dude, I mean, I don't even know. They may have changed their beliefs because, you know, that was what? three. Uh, they can put a statement out, man. They can do something. Oh, that's true. That is very true. I mean, true. say, look, we do no longer blood yeah. now. I mean, they can say something. This is true. They yeah. should be held accountable. They really yeah. should um, for like the shit that they caused but yeah right. so they they don't get forgiveness for me they don't deserve it right like, there's so much to unpack like <laughs> i didn't <laughs> um uh, so with with the the deconstruction uh yeah the cult, and i've seen it and i've seen it so many times because you know i've spoken to so many different people on here on this podcast i had my religious cult series that we did i've done so much research on this forever i just the deconstruction it does take a lot of time and you have to think yes i mean i'm not like a professional by any means i'm not like a cult expert but i do know i do personally know a cult expert and the 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 way that it it takes so much time to deconstruct and you're not even like your brain is not even fully developed at at 20 what was mm-hmm. it i think it develops at what like 20 after i think it's 25 26 yeah i don't want to be wrong when your frontal so. lobe finishes developing right so you're it's not even finished developed yet so of course i mean you you this is all you know so yeah it's going to take a lot of time and it's a huge process i'm just so glad that you went into therapy because mental health is oh, yeah. so freaking important like i tell everybody i'm like look my i know for a fact like mental health is more important to me than my physical health because let's say for it, it affects you physically though because like yeah if yeah. i'm stressed because i have horrible horrible uh panic disorder with so when i get like super high anxiety and i'm like mm-hmm. so stressed and like every now and then like let's just say it's not an anxiety attack but it, it's like a very stressful situation going on in my life circle jerk here but anyway mental illness circle (laughs) i have like so much stuff like it's just it's a lot um myself but i will like literally break out physically in hives and then if i'm just getting like anxious my chest will get like red and blotchy Mm. yeah 
I know mm-hmm. a lot of people do that, but like I'll break out in hives. Ouch. Yeah. So it, it does affect you physically and like the blackouts, you know, it does. That's why it's so important. All health is important, but um, I just want to take this time to say that mental health, everyone has deserves a right. Every human deserves mental health access. I want to say absolutely. Absolutely. They need to do something because I I can go on and on and on and on and on, but mm. (laughs) I am like, if anyone, if, if I had, if mental health was talked about more and mental illness and trauma and Mm -hmm. PTSD, you know, I could have realized at 20 that I might need to get evaluated and save myself nine years because the thing with mental illness, trauma, it doesn't get better. It gets worse without treatment. Absolutely. And it takes, I think of it like a, a computer virus and it just keeps spreading. Right. And it's such a slow thing that you, you know, I didn't notice that I was like, oh, I feel worse this year than last year. It's just such a slow, continuous spread. Wow. And Sneaks by the time... You. Yeah, by the time that I reconnected with my partner, um, I was having like weeks of um, emotional dissociation at a time where I would be completely numb. And I'm a very like expressive, emotional person. I just Mm -hmm. feel feelings a lot. And I would have these just dissociative, like just completely numb. Um, I was very depressed, like I was suicidal. Um, I had an eating disorder. And, you know, my coping mechanism has always been productivity, you know, whatever quirk in my brain, whatever protein or DNA thing, you know, made it be that. Um, So people would look at me and I see me like doing all these things and achieving all these things. And they wouldn't stop to think if I was okay, because by, you know, a capitalist society, I'm doing great because I'm getting a bunch of stuff done. And, you know, but in, but between working, I would just like lay on my bed face down because there was nothing. I wouldn't even turn on the TV because I, my depression had reached the point where like the act of turning on the TV felt like too much effort to put into it. I've been there, man. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's wild. And I was in like abusive relationship after abusive relationship the flip side that I don't hear a lot of people talk about is that when you get in a healthy relationship, you want to leave it because something feels like it's missing. Right. And the only reason I did not sabotage my relationship is because I was in therapy and I'm like, maybe something's missing and it's that spark, but also like, maybe I need to just stay in therapy. It took a solid year of me having these thoughts of like something's missing it's there's no passion like no 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 just feeling this sense of something being missing because my brain was like where's the abuse where is the passive aggressive behavior where is the silent treatment like and so I was just I was uncomfortable with a healthy relationship for a year before my brain was able to realize like, okay, we're not going to get abused anymore. Like, how is this actually? Oh, this is pretty great. I'm actually happy. Yeah. And like, I feel like people don't talk about that a lot. Right. And how traumatized brains, like, 
it, it like sets you up to be a, a victim again, just experiencing that. Right, you're- because it, you're you're coming out, especially when you're first coming out of it, you're first coming out of it, so it would be easy for you to go back to what you know. Mm-hmm. So that's still being vulnerable. Like, ooh, we can get them back. Yeah. So, like, it's just, well, I mean, I'm so glad, though, that you stayed with your partner. Because oh. it seems like that's the one that that actually encouraged you to is that that's the one right that encouraged you to oh yeah yeah Yeah. my partner he's like the most amazing person in the whole world we want to be together forever Mm. i don't ever want to get married because i'm scared of you know i need to have the reassurance because of everything i've been through that if something terrible happened i could just leave um that kind of like settles my anxiety but you know he supported like he went with me to get evaluated the first time he would like hold me when my panic attacks started Mm. um because I didn't have panic attacks until 2021 and then when they kicked off I was having like six to eight a day and one in the middle of the night some of them are debilitating debilitating oh god yes dude and like like an outer body experience Oh, yeah. The first time I had one, I went to the ER because I genuinely thought I was having a heart attack because right. I'd never experienced it before. And I couldn't get my heart rate down. And my heart rate was up so long that I was getting dizzy and nauseous and like, mm-hmm. oh, I've even it, thrown up. And like, it feels it's, like it's different, though. Like, I mean, sometimes it just feels like I, my chest, you know, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like right in the middle. It's like it's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like somebody like put bricks on me and I can't breathe. I don't know if like if yours start out like mental or physical mine always start out physical really so they just like come out of nowhere so I'll just be like trolley lolly oh my god I have a brain aneurysm and I'm hyperventilating like it it is zero to a hundred right and so my partner would just hold me at night to help me calm back down he would I would call him during the day when I thought I was dying of whatever because when I'd have a panic attack my brain would be like you're dying of and then just basically throw a dart at a medical book and be like you're dying of dry drowning you're dying of jaundice and yeah Yeah. the, the panic is so it's so hard to describe panic attacks to people who haven't experienced them because it is all consuming it is your emotions your thoughts your body you genuinely feel like you're dying right i'm so glad that you know you have him and y'all suck it out and everything because that's huge um, oh yeah that is so good yeah but yeah i mean i have tr- i mean man we could talk all day about that but <laughs> so the actual religion was christian right and like the denomination yes. was pentecostal it was like pentecostal holiness and then my parents also knew like associated with families and like like charismatic pentecostal like they they were very loosey-goosey with what they called themselves right you know they were the only real christians you know but it's like an offshoot yes i absolutely like an extremist cold offshoot Offshoot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it does take a long time to, you know, like, to deconstruct yourself. And I'm just so glad that you got, I think everyone needs a therapist. And if you say you don't need a therapist, you really do need a therapist if you say you don't need a therapist. (laughs) Because, (laughs) Because therapy is, 
great. I mean, it, it's, it's an unbiased opinion of somebody on the outside looking in, like, why wouldn't you want to do that? I guess people that don't want to change or just don't care um, or can't afford it because yeah. everyone can have access yeah. to it. And yeah, that could definitely be the case as well. But I do think it's super important. I'm just so glad that you're out and everything. So I, I really honestly do want to know if like they're still doing this. You know, they probably are. Yeah. And whoever that person, preacher, how can he sit there and say that he's a good Christian and then sleep with a um a, te a teenager in the park? How? The hypocrisy. The my thought on cults like the one I, my parents were in is that they are built around making women into victims mm. because it's all about like subjugating and brainwashing women. And also like a huge part of those beliefs are that, you know, if a man looks at you, it's your fault because you wore something because men are visual creatures, so they can't help themselves. And oh, it's yeah. It's like so freaking misogynistic. I cannot. Yeah. And it like also, super it, it excuses the men from any responsibility for abuse because, mm -hmm. well, you know, she had a Jezebel spirit or she was wearing something that Who she are they that to was say? Who are they yeah, to uh, say? That's like, God should judge. Like, that's the, like, that's the shit, dude. Like, it, it, and it's so common to see these cult leaders, you know, mm -hmm. preaching all this stuff and then you manipulating their followers and mm -hmm. abusing that power and growing up in that cult I never developed individuality because from the time I was two I heard that my identity was a re uh, revolved around a man it was either honoring my father or serving my husband I was never ever taught consent ever Wow. I was never taught that I existed outside of a man, that there was any other purpose for me other than having children and getting married. So like I, and yes, yeah, yeah. And so like being raved in that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I did not have any concept of consent. I, um, until I got with my partner and I was telling him stories of previous people I dated I, you know, I didn't even know that I'd been raped because wow. I didn't understand consent and I didn't, I just gave excuses for the guy. Right. And he, my partner was like, if you said no and you did not take that back exactly. and it, it was a no. And it's, you know, the fact that he couldn't tell what he was doing is a lie. And that's and right. There's no statute of limitations on that. So just throwing it out there. Oh, um, uh, but I just, I, I, I never knew those things. And then my, like another, uh, I've just had so much trauma, dude. Um, my step grandpa groomed me from when I was like five up to 14. Oh. Um, so he groomed and like, sexually inappropriately did things um that wouldn't it would be like up to the point of it being a felony and then not being oh my gosh I'm so freaking sorry dude um thank you and I didn't know that I should tell my parents because I was never taught mm -hmm. body autonomy or consent 
Right. Or, uh, and because the cult had told my parents to basically, you know, raise their children to be terrified of them, I didn't feel like I could even say when I was uncomfortable about something. And so I just didn't say anything until after he died. And my younger sister, after he died, said, like, mentioned that he had done something similar things to her for years. And then I started talking about it. Um, because when I was 14, I got my first boyfriend and he switched from me to my younger sister, who's eight years oh, younger. What? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like this happened, like I didn't know that I could or even should say something because of being raised in a cult that didn't teach consent, didn't teach body autonomy, taught that, you know if a man looks at a woman or does something to her, it's her fault. Um, and so all of those things created me being victimized by him. It enabled a predator to victimize me because I was never taught anything that would have allowed me to speak up. Wow. Yeah. And so I, you know, that's another reason that I hate the cult because once my parents were sucked in by them, basically from that point on my family was fucked you know my future was fucked from that point on because it just it was like a domino effect right you know and being brainwashed like that starting at two and then my step-grandfather being a predator and then um like abusive boyfriends and then being on wife swap and then exploiting right. us like it's just like a long One thing after another yeah. <laughs> yeah like a trauma train yeah, yeah. <laughs> truly. Chugga um, chugga choo choo. Yeah. Just the trauma train. I'm not going to get the Colleen Ballinger song stuck in my head right now. I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it sounds like to me, like within the church, there were, did they call themselves like prophets or? or... Oh, no. They just called themselves pastors. The The pastor called himself that in that one specific church but the way that this like this like cult is like a belief system and this church practiced it but then you had a bunch of other families in other places practicing it and so some of them would have like offshoots of it of that belief system so like the first cult the pentecostal holiness cult they taught like no makeup you know women are your slaves um but they didn't believe in like the holy spirit or demons but then the another group of families from a different state because my family traveled for work for my dad though that group of families believed in demons being behind things and so they taught my parents that and so it was like a mishmash of different um but similar like cult beliefs if that makes sense Right, right. I'm, um, I'm Googling the Pentecostal yeah. Holiness Church. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, and I think now, like, the, the most similar thing to that belief system now would be, like, Quiverful it, with the, like, women just have babies and which is, like, what the Duggars, you know, are in. Right. Um, and then uh, once my parents left the Pentecostal Holiness Church, then my, we attended, like, a Branamite church, which was a different cult. 
um but oh, wow. they didn't really they didn't do anything bad they just had really good potlucks um, <laughs> <and> so- <laughs> we're gonna let them slide at the moment um they just had really good potlucks but it's really <laughs> funny because i listen to cult podcasts because it's really mm-hmm. funny and then i was listening one day and they're like and we're gonna cover william branham and i busted up laughing i'm like oh my god i'm gonna send this to my mom and i was just like when you know, the podcast you listen to about cults covers a church you attended for six months and my mom was like okay that's a good one <laughs> wow yeah uh, yeah and oh, oh and also your grandparents like the candy store you know like yeah yeah so what did they th- think about this stuff or so sometimes it makes me really mad that my none of my relatives ever said anything or spoke up you know I have a lot of not exactly anger but almost like they didn't think it was they thought it was weird but they never said anything they never spoke up um and I don't remember like the worst of the worst abuse happening around my relatives um but like the rest of the belief systems were fully on display you know and us being terrified us kids being terrified and withdrawn and all of that was there and sometimes I just feel so angry that they never said anything right um that nobody you know nobody ever said anything and one of the um one of the big things from like my trauma and childhood and um, that period, those like two or three years where my sister was, you know, framing me. So I got the beatings and she got the fun. Um, I, uh, you know, I was raised, you know, that Jesus always looks out for you. And so we would go to church like two, three times a week. And I would beg God every service to tell my parents it wasn't me. And he never did. And so I felt truly and completely alone at like 10. And that was, you know, what was a big reason behind my, um, when I went to kill myself. Um, and that, that feeling of being completely alone and nobody wanting to help me. You know, and especially like being told since I was, you know, two that God loves you more than anything. He wouldn't let anything happen to you. And then like, God's not saying shit. Right. And uh, needless to say, not religious anymore. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. hard to be after that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, just that that feeling of being completely alone at 10 and nobody was was going to help me. And nobody was going to make it stop. And, you know, my sister was the one causing it. So, yeah. I'm so bad. I yeah. wish I could go hug 10-year-old you. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Because some of, my, some of my therapy was, like, my therapist had me, like, envision, like, hugging that child version of myself that was so terrified. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet it was. Yeah. I did, like, a really intense therapy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. I was, like, started crying. It was, like... It was deep, but I mean, you're like, yeah. you're addressing it. So, you know, and another thing is, so with this medical thing, so like, did they believe that you would just like put essential oils on something and it would cure cancer or no? So essential oils weren't even like around yet, but oh. Lloyd Silver was. 
colloidal silver is like the pre-essential oil um where they it's like i don't know some kind of kind of silver in a in a thing and you drink it oh so it's just as absolutely ridiculous Um, yeah so they they thought that the colloidal silver would like keep you strong and healthy and then jesus would heal you if anything else happened but jesus created science no, they didn't God believe that. created science. No. Well, they believed that science <laughs> was in opposition to God and science was like allowed by God to help people who didn't have enough faith. Um no. and so it just basically was like, well, I have enough faith, you know. Um no, and so like, yeah, so I had the fun of suffering through asthma my whole childhood because yeah. of it. Like, Lord forbid, like, what if you had, like, something really bad, like, like, cancer or something, and, like, it was untreated? That, I feel like I if that's it, legal. I feel like if it had been, like, um, like, cancer or something where I was wasting away, like, I fully know that my mom would have, you know. Right. Told, like, rebelled against the cult beliefs and taken me to the hospital but But if it had been something sudden like an asthma attack i could have easily passed away wow yeah i know that's so freaking dangerous you're really really lucky yeah your sister yeah i'm so lucky (laughs) well i mean you're lucky it wasn't something (laughs) but you are lucky you're lucky that you came out of this and that you're like you found yourself you addressed everything you realized things that's a huge thing because some people never do that yeah yeah no i am i'm lucky with what what i've been able to do together after it yeah yeah and raising awareness to yeah because making like like clear that that it's just not right i mean you can't people can't listen to everything you just went through and say that it is and i mean so what about your sister are you closer your sister did she ever when did they find um, out she took the candy so i do not talk to that sister um she has really bad mental health um she's had a couple of psychotic breaks mm-hmm. but she is in complete denial and insists that she's totally fine and it's just because she got too hungry so, um so like doing no she's not. so i i spent a lot of time trying to help her um like hours and hours over like quite a few months you know I spent years it's very recent that I don't speak to her um one of the things from my trauma was that I wound up feeling like I was responsible for everyone else's lives Mm -hmm. Um, and so if someone needed something or I would always be there to the detriment of myself right um and Unfortunately, my sister is uh, a narcissist who has no intention of ever changing. Um, She's very cruel to this day where she will turn on you in an instant and do go out of her way to hurt you if she feels like you did something or her her life isn't going the way that she wants it to. Um, I was like dating this one guy that she had had a imaginary relationship with, even though she'd never met him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she got very angry about it and then friended him on Facebook and then would talk to him about me all the time and sabotage it. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. So 
I don't talk to her anymore. You know, you gotta do whatever is best for you because honestly, just because they're family does not mean they're not, I mean, just, you know, you just went through all of this, you know. Um, My partner told me something that it took me like three years to actually believe and realize was true. And it's that you don't have to spend time with toxic people just because you share DNA with them. Exactly. That's and like, it took me three years of therapy to realize <laughs> that, oh my God, that's not mean. That's true. You know, and I remember one time talking to my therapist and I was like, you know, I just want to help her. And I'm like, I put myself in her shoes. And my therapist goes, it's not fair of you to, it's not fair to you to put yourself in her shoes. And I'm like, wait, what? And she said, well, would you talk to someone like she talked to you? Would you treat someone like she treats you? Right. And the answer is no. And so if you would put yourself in her shoes as a, a form of empathy, that's not fair to you because you would never do any of those things. That's so, so you, such a good point. Yeah. She's like, so you can't treat her how you would want to be treated because she isn't treating others like you would treat them. Right. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. Call me out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's true, though. What I'd like to add is I I feel like our society, even though we've come a long way in destigmatizing mental health, there is a very far, we still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we haven't even come half as far when it comes to trauma and PTSD and CPTSD, because it is very um, dismissed. You know, I talk about my trauma, I talk about CPTSD, because if I had been 20 and had seen something on social media about it, I might have realized, like, wait, maybe this sounds familiar. And so I talk about it a lot just to put it out there more and to normalize, like, real people have these things. You know, trauma is real, what it does to your body is real, it lasts a lifetime, you know, I will probably always have CPTSD. Mm-hmm. And uh, through like EMDR treatment and medication, I've gotten it to a manageable point, but I will probably always have this. I will always have to manage my symptoms. Um, and I feel like when I talk about trauma, there's still a lot of people that'll comment like, oh yeah, that sounds traumatic or like boo-hoo. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I hate th- that. What's traumatic uh-huh. to one person? Like you don't know. Mm-hmm. You do well, not but- know. Like everyone's or- feelings are valid. Like what? Yeah. Or like, well, my childhood was worse than yours. And I'm like, okay, first of all, trauma is subjective. So what a brain decides is traumatic varies from person to person. And so I, I still see a lot of this stigma and dismissal and people like when you are suffering from trauma or mental illness, there is already a sense of shame around having it because of our the way our society treats these conditions. Even though it's 2023, get with it. Yes. And so, like, so already when you are suffering from trauma and mental illness, a lot of times you feel ashamed to get treatment. And then if you have people putting in society, adding to that by validating that stigma, Mm-hmm. And dismissing trauma and dismissing PTSD, it makes it harder for those people in that vulnerable time frame to actually go and get the treatment. Because the hardest part is walking through the door of the evaluation. It's so right. hard. It's so hard. Right. And 
so I, you know, I put out there a lot and I talk about it a lot because before I got evaluated and before I started getting treatment, I felt like my mental illness, my trauma, what meant that I was a weak person. And I felt like, well, I need to be able to handle this because, you know, I just feel broken. I felt less than because of it. And then I realized through treatment that having mental illness, having trauma, you know, dealing with those things, it doesn't make you a weak person. And if anything, it means that you're an extremely strong person because every single thing that you do, you have to fight 10 times harder for than people who don't have to deal with those conditions, who don't have to deal with mental illness. And so it's a testament to our strength that we can get through a day and send an email when we're dealing with these conditions that are so incapacitating and that having trauma doesn't make you weak and having mental illness doesn't make you weak or broken and getting treatment isn't an admittance of weakness. You know, it just helps you live a life that you can actually feel and enjoy um and I I put that out there as much as I can just to you know it doesn't make me less than someone who never experienced it and if you've if you've never experienced trauma or mental illness you're so lucky because it is it is a you know it's hard a lot of, some people like act like well one of my favorite ones is like well you shouldn't take medication and oh I my gosh so I and I'm like, would you say that to a cancer patient? Thank I was just about to say this to you. I swear. I was going to say, you know, that's just like telling a diabetic they don't need their mm-hmm. insulin to survive. It's that's like telling someone with yeah. a broken leg, like, well, just don't walk on it for a little bit. Like right. people, because it's an invisible <laughs> illness, it's often treated like it doesn't exist. And that is so far from the truth. And, you know, if my parents would have gotten treatment for their childhood trauma, mine probably wouldn't have happened because they wouldn't have been vulnerable to the cult because cults target people with untreated trauma. Right. Uh, and so I just, you know, I want to put out there that if anyone is struggling with, you know, mental illness or trauma, you're you're not less than anyone else you you aren't worth any less it has no impact on your worth your value as a human and it does not mean that you're weak or broken and getting treatment isn't admitting defeat it's just the first step to actually being able to be it's brave yes it's so brave it's it's so so hard right and it is hard to go through treatment but you know, I've been through it for like five years and I, I actually like wake up and feel happy. And the first time that happened, I was like, what the heck is this? Like, what the fuck? What is this feeling? I don't, I'm not used to this. Right. Just being able to just have a feeling of contentment and happiness was impossible before. And, you know, that's all thanks to getting treatment. Right. You stop this cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to just carry it over. You know, that is huge. And educating is also really, really big. 
So, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm going to leave down in the show notes all links to Heidi's social media. And um, I'm going to have some other resources in there. I want to provide like a phone number for someone to call to speak to someone if they're struggling. It was so brave for Heidi to come on and tell her story and to go into so much detail. I honestly do appreciate it. And I hope that people listen to this with a open mind and an open heart. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health in the U.S., you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Also, the U.S. National Alliance of Mental Illness is available at 1-800-950-6264. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual assault, you can contact the U.S. National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. If you are not in the U.S., you can go to findahelpline.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I do hope that everyone has a wonderful rest of your day and a wonderful rest of the week.